The information in this podcast is current on the day of recording. It is general advice only and does not take your personal situation into account. It may not be suitable for you. Participants in this podcast may also own the stocks discussed. Welcome to Stock Tech. My name is Gaurav Sodi. Joining me today is analyst James Carlyle. Hey, James. Hello. And we've got a rare appearance by John Addis. Welcome, John. Hi, Gaurav. For those who don't know John, John's the founder of Intelligent Investor, contributor, editor, um, the enforcer of punctuation <laughs> and grammar. I'm with you. I've given up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad to see I've worn you down. Do you, do you know that I go into your articles and add apostrophes? I, you know, I've, I've, I was wondering where they came from. I don't see our <laughs> oh, relationship as being... Well. <laughs> I, I think, I think the, the tension there is between modernity and old-fashioned, old-fashionedness, really. I don't think it's between grammar and bad grammar. I just think you do things that just aren't necessary. No, there's nothing time. modern about apostrophes. No, that, that it changes <laughs> or, the or meaning or something. Yeah. Yeah. Eat shoots uh, and leaves. Oh, yeah, that book. I've read that. That um, <laughs> I, It was terrifying. Impression. That, was a, uh, that, was a, that was a scary novel for me, actually. I found that really <laughs> scary to read. Hmm. But uh, now, speaking of fear, actually, what a great segue, um, Johnny. Yeah, that was a good um, setup on my part. <laughs> nicely accomplished. We've been having a bit of a of a trot um, in in markets, not so much in Australia, and I think some of us perhaps more than others. If if you uh, heeded the call to resources and you're you're decked up in energy, you're probably not feeling it as much. But JC, I dare say, um, growth investors are probably feeling a lot more. This oh, I've is I've been I've been absolutely smashed. Well, this yeah. this is what so I wanted to talk to you about, James. I, I think the because we've had different experiences, but this, the sell-off is now getting pretty um, pretty hard, and there's just a whiff of panic now. Um, it's now universally accepted that you know interest rates are going to rise, inflation is rising. Um, there's a compression of um, of PEs. How are you dealing with it all in your own portfolio, James? Are you buying are you selling um have you panicked yet or you're too late to panic like what, what's going through your mind what, what are you doing well I, yeah i think the f- one thing you've got to do is try not to panic <laughs> i actually um, i actually disagree with that by the way I, I think it's okay to panic as long as you panic very very early and i panicked really fast <laughs> and uh, i actually have no problem panicking at all as long as you panic early the, the but worst what's the thing to do is to panic, panic. I mean, panicking is, I mean, is that market timing we're talking about? Are you are you just selling things because you think that they're suddenly going to fall the next few months? I mean, I don't own things unless I think they're good value. I don't I haven't, I, I, I'm, you know, I don't, I don't know whether they're going to go up or down in the next six months, but um, I, I just try to buy stocks, which are, which are good value. Um, you take, you're talking too much sense. Look, if I'm honest, I hold a whole bunch of stocks, which are a bit more speculative, which I don't know a good value. I'm just holding because I think the um, they have really good optionality. Camplify is a good idea. I've I've been a shareholder in Camplify since just after the IPO, and I I sold that the whole position. I fully expected to hold that for a couple of years, but I sold the whole thing because um, yeah, I panicked, <laughs> and I'm I'm really glad I did. Dubber is the other one. Dubber, I sold my entire position in Dubber because I panicked, and um, also glad I did. I, mean, I just don't think this is the environment where we want to be holding unprofitable tech stocks. So I, I guess the answer to that is is that I don't. Um, yeah, you're so, more sensible, in other words. Well, I say, well, I, look, look. So I've been smashed because all the quality growth stocks have been smashed. But but um, the ones I own tend to be the the profitable ones. I suppose Ordinate would be an exception to that. But I yeah, I think it, you can see a very clear path for it to Correct. to make profits. And I haven't um, sold any Ordinate either. Yeah. Yeah. So um, look, I think the thing is that um, you buy value and and and. I've made a conscious decision over the years not to invest in resources and not to sort of diversify like that, but they really do protect you at times like this. Um, And I've just sort of taken the view that I can ride out market swings and roundabouts. Hmm. Um, You know, last year was very good. This year, um, you know, has wiped out that and a bit more. Hmm. Um, And, you know, I, 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 if the market's not going to, if the market offers you a good price for your shares, then you can sell them and buy something else. If the market doesn't offer you what you think is a fair price for your shares, you just hold on to them and wait for that value to appear over the years, which which I'm happy to do. Um, I mean, I'd rather it was all accelerated a bit by people offering me silly, silly prices for the stocks I own and then I can go and find something else. But 
if that doesn't happen, then you just have to be patient. John, are you sensible like James or are you a bit, uh, bit silly like me? I, I don't know about this phrase, panic early. I think if you panic early, you're not actually panicking. So if you if you sell before a big share price fall, you're probably not panicking because it's the panic, it's the share price fall that causes you to panic. Yeah, no, no, you're right. You're quite. So right. I think you're making locking a in profits is yeah the, a calculated yeah. rational decision that mm. the valuation has become too stretched, and you're happy to be one of those people who think, well, I think prices are way too high. I'm just getting out because I feel uncomfortable about those high prices. Yeah. The the, the other perspective is to say, well. If you own a stock that you intend to hold for eight, nine, ten years and it gets way overvalued, then there's a lot more work involved in trying to smooth out those fluctuations by picking where it's become overvalued and then buying in mm. when it's cheap. Mm. I've just been knocked out of so many stocks when I've tried to do that. So yeah. uh, my tendency is just to probably more akin to what James does, which is just to hang on. Well, and, yeah. Uh, sorry, go on. Yeah. And to, uh, and to ride it out. Hmm. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't say that. I just uh, hold on. I'm a bit more active than that, I suppose. I mean, I, I was selling a few things last year. I wish I'd sold a bit more, you know. But um, uh, I guess the thing is that I, you know, I sold a bit. Things were getting a little bit pricey in some areas, and I was happy to to sell a bit, pay off my mortgage. Um, and I guess the point is that I've got in a bit early on the way down. Um, got back into a few of these things. I mean, I tend to. I, I tend to have stocks that I'm very happy to hold for the long term. And I sort of, I guess I sort of flex in and out of them as I see, as I get more and more greedy, I suppose. But I, I try to make sure that I'm getting greedy, more fearful as the price goes up and more greedy as the price goes down mm. rather than mm. vice versa, I suppose, is the point. In my portfolio, I've learned to just contain the ideas in different buckets. So there is a, there is a part of my portfolio, there are several stocks I own, that I intend to own for a long time and I'm not going to be shoved out of those positions easily unless something fundamental changes. So price probably won't be enough to, to get me out of those positions. So what kind of um, businesses are they? I'm sure. Macquarie the Telecom is, is, yeah. is, a, is a good idea. I think LaVisa is another. LaVisa yeah. looked very expensive last year. It got up to well over $20 and even bucks. I was thinking about selling it. But when I think about how much potential there is in LaVisa, how many stores it could open you run that through even a rudimentary back of the envelope calculation. It's very easy to get $30, $40, $50 a share mm -hmm. if you're patient and they're executing really well. So I was quite happy to hang on to that. Um, Aussie Broadband was, was one that was interesting because that had a huge fall. It fell, I think, 30% in a day. And I knew that looked a little expensive. But again, that's a business that I can see. I, I've compared it to Macquarie Telecom in the past. I can see it growing and morphing and getting better as each year passes. And I think that's one you want to hang on to for a couple of years at least. So I wasn't shaken out of that. But something like like a Caplify or, or a Dubber that is really not really a proven business model, doesn't make money, still requires the market for, for cash flow, needs to tap the market to, to keep running, is an idea that is potentially worth a lot of money but hasn't proven to be a sustainable idea yet. That sort of thing... I am more than happy to sell once the mood of the market changes. And I think the mood has changed. I think we're in a different world now. I think um, we, we don't, I don't think about prices and value in the same way as I did last year, this time last year. I think something has changed. Which is? The, um, interest rates have changed everything. I, I think we're going to see um, uh, multiple compression. It's, it's happening already, but I think it's a permanent thing. I don't necessarily see all the falls as a um, obvious opportunity. I think, JC, that's probably where we differ. I mean, um, um, I wanted to ask you, actually, have you, if you haven't been selling many positions, you haven't been shaken out. I, I, I get what you're saying. You own much better quality businesses. And um, I, I, I understand what you're saying. It's, it's easier to, and more sensible to hold on to those um, despite selling. But do you buy more? Are you, are you actually? Well, that's what I've, yeah, that, yeah, that's exactly what I do. I mean, I, I suppose um, to, to take Ordinate as an example, I'm trying to remember yeah. the numbers actually just while you were talking there. But I mean, my, my position size or the number of shares I, I hold in, in Ordinate might flex by sort of threefold. So, you know, when, when the share price seems 
you know, when it was sort of ten, eleven dollars last year, I guess it was at a certain level, and I think I probably own two or three times as many shares now as I did then, hmm. um, and I probably owned, um, you know, that that sort of level as well uh, around March twenty twenty. So, yeah. you know, as things go up, you sell a few, and as they go down, you buy a few more. That's the that's the, the way yeah, it okay. sort of works for me. Okay. Um, and look, as is the nature of these things, I tend to get in a bit too early. <laughs> but um you know i think if, you, if you're paying attention you're bound to get in yeah, um, yeah that's so, right so the ones i sold around 10 11 dollars i was sort of buying back around seven or eight and now i'm mm. hurting <laughs> but at least uh at least i did that sort of slight sort of uh you know um, what do you call it slight sort of trade i suppose but and and that's reduced you know the pain a bit mm. but um you know i i have the, the bunch of stocks that I'm happy to hold and I sort of flex those. Um, I've also been um, getting a few more positions in there. So I think it's a great opportunity to tidy up your portfolio, get some uh, really high quality uh, stocks in there. Um, mm. When I, I, I was thinking before we, you know, when we, when you sent the agenda around and when we're, I was thinking ahead of the podcast of what I did in 2008 in the GFC, mm. I ended up with a, hugely concentrated portfolio i was in three stocks at the bottom of that wow um, yeah. i think magellan but was one of them wasn't it Jason? magellan was one of them yeah, yeah and uh um yeah anyway i sold that too early or actually not <laughs> well, <laughs> actually, i sold it i sold it le- for less than it is now actually yeah. my my final it was, it was too early about nine months ago <laughs> yeah yeah um but uh yeah so but now you see that was when i i mean you know everything i've got a bit more now and my responsibility is a bit greater and so i've actually been diversifying more if 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 everything's going a bit pear-shaped i feel as though mm. i'd rather have a slightly um uh, broader diversification so i've been taking the opportunity to add a few things like dominoes and rea and mm. um you know things that um yeah, slightly different businesses. Breville, I've bought. Um, you know, sort of slightly diversify out of the tech sort of sassy type sort of things that I tend to own. Mm. Can, can I just make the case for tech businesses mm. amongst this very negative sentiment, which I understand is all based on price, not on the quality of the business? But there does seem to be this idea that software companies aren't the kind of businesses we thought they were going to be because of these price falls. Do you, do you think there's any truth to that? I haven't. I haven't noticed. I haven't noticed that. If you see, that, that's certainly not my thinking. I, my, my thinking on all these software businesses hasn't really. I think our price guide on, um, well, in my head, the price <laughs> I've sort of thought about zero hasn't changed since last year. A lot of these. St- I mean, our price guide on Altium's the same. Mm. Um, I think the market has changed. I don't think I've yeah. changed. I mean, I swear. I think I think that they all did get pretty pricey last year. Um, I must admit, I probably was the least enamoured with software, and that remains my position now. Why is that? What? What? Why are you least enamoured with software? What is it you don't like about it? And I know I, I'm I fully aware it... that you're the one who's going to be asking the questions, but <laughs> I just like to explore this argument. Yeah. No. Um, I think it gives software gives the impression of stickiness and quality, but it uh, the resilience is really hard to to tell, and everything looks like it's working really well until it's not. Um, like you know, think about the great software successes. Um, um, they've all started with um, outside. They have, the great software disruptions haven't come from competitors or big. Um, resourced corporations. They've come from people's garages, new ideas, Atlassian, mm. um, um, Adobe, you know, little, small companies that were small come up with, with ideas and, um, and they just, it, it's, a, it's an industry prone to disruption and it's completely unpredictable, but it is consistent. And I just think it, you can easily fall in love with these businesses and think they're better than they really are because the the metrics are fantastic. The economics are wonderful, mm. but we can't really test the resilience of the of the the product or the business itself. And you only find out that it's brittle after it breaks. And I've just seen these things break um, again and again. And it's it's led me to question how durable they are. I mean, there are there are there are different. I mean, something like a, a Google, I think, is is just um, um, it's impenetrable. A kind of business, it's yeah. a different kind of business. It's remarkable. But 
something like Facebook, I do question how good that is, really, um, when you look at what's going on there. That, that there's a whole the lot question. of SaaS, SaaS businesses beneath that that, that um, I'm not that keen on. But anyway, yes. Sorry, sorry that, Casey, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that begs the question. I mean, because John started by talking about software companies, and you could mm. talk broad, more broadly about tech companies. And, you know, what is it? How, how are we defining all this? I mean, is REA one of these? Because yeah. um, you know what it has is is I mean it's basically a software business. It has a website. Yeah. You know, it's it a network apps. business, right? It's um, a but it has a business platform. as well. It has, yeah. it yeah. has a network. So yeah. so so some of these businesses do have um, yeah. a lot of protection. And of I would course. say Altium stands very little chance of being outcompeted by someone from their garage. Mm-hmm. It's not something you can just. You, it's hugely sophisticated. It's software. Mm-hmm. You can't just knock that up overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, it pours millions um, into it each year. Uh, improving it um technology won't be another example there and, and of yeah. course zero um yeah. so look i think that these businesses have more to no one's gonna barge in on zero into it and sage i don't think um you know certainly not from their garage well zero did but and, yeah. and and that was the shift to cloud and and you're right yeah. that, that that enabled them to do that and you're right that there might be another technical technological shift that enables someone else to sort of barge yeah. their way in who knows but um i think that the, the point i'm trying to make is that that you know it, it's wrong to dump all these stocks into yeah. the one basket and, and and when the market does that as i feel mm. it sort of does from time to time like right mm. now mm. all the you know all the good stocks are being sold off with with yeah. the bad no, the good stocks i think can be worth quite a lot um yeah. and the bad stocks can be worth nothing and and the trick is to work out which one's which um and that's not not always terribly easy and we'll come on to zero and we'll find <laughs> we'll no doubt talk yeah. about that then yeah before we do that i, I would say that you know, we think you can think about good software businesses, and good software businesses tend to be platforms, mm. um, not exclusively, but they tend to be. And you can look at a business like Dover, which I think might be a platform business at some point. Probably not a big platform business, but certainly have kind of network effects. I think. Um, and then you look at something like Camplify and go, well, <laughs> you know, that could be a piece of rubbish. Uh, and there's three or four competitors, and who knows who's going to win that marketplace? Some, whoever wins will be a good business. That's right. I think that's but we right. don't know who's can't win. tell now. Yeah, and it's that's right. And and if they can get all of the vans in the world on their site, or half yeah. the vans in the world on their site, then they're yeah. going to win. Um, mm-hmm. Whether somebody comes along with a better site probably isn't going to overcome that obstacle in the same way that mm-hmm. somebody could come along and build a better site than REA. But if it hasn't got any agents or houses on it, it's not yeah. going to work. So yeah, the platform no. is is a key a key point in all of this, I think. Yeah, and that just speaks to the um, the competitive advantage, doesn't it? I mean, if if the product itself is supposed to be just better, if the product is the competitive advantage, I think it's it's a weak one, even though it can appear strong at the time. Yeah. Um, networks, um, even scale. I'm not sure how um, what a big deal scale is either, but I, it, it's tricky because something like Tech One, I mean. A single line of code software business, they make one change or one new development gets scaled out to every single customer. That's very attractive. I, you know, JC, I do accept your, your 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 argument that there are different leagues in software, and and I guess I, my skepticism is really reserved not so much for the tech ones and the zeros, but for the tier two um, businesses, the ones that we've kind of looked at at the periphery but never really recommended, and and they're the likes of um, Whisper, Nitro, Dubber. Yeah. I think yeah, these are actually uh, pretty good businesses. Uh, well, yeah. Lifetimes was never on, on the thing on anyone's radar. <laughs> yeah. I didn't look from, at it uh, just because it was so bad. It was so bad. Yeah, it's yes, a good example of if you looked at everything about Lifetimes and thought, yeah. "Well, I'll find this in other software companies," and you've probably got a bad software business. Yeah, and there's bad ones. And I, and I throw um, Big Tin Can in that yeah. as well. A b- bad, I think, a yeah. bad, a poor quality software business. And but I the, think we've, we've been ahead. quite yeah. discerning. Sorry, I, I think yeah. we've been quite discerning over yeah, the last I, I think few we years. Yeah. Um, I mean, possibly too discerning. We've missed out on one or two things that maybe mm. we, you know, with hindsight, we, we could have hopefully, you know, probably been in. But um, but I think you've got to be. And, and But the yeah. really high quality um, software, tech, platform, whatever you want to call them, the ones that sort of <laughs> maybe offer a few of those things, um, uh, I think can do very well. And, you know, a lot of them are half the price that they were last year. So hmm. I think 
getting attractive. Yeah. A lot of them getting very getting attractive. attractive. I haven't bought I haven't bought a single thing in this downturn. It's really surprised me. Usually, when prices fall, I do get quite greedy. Um, in twenty twenty, um, JC, you were the greediest man I knew at that point. But I was probably second behind you. Um, we were buying a, a lot of stuff. I, I was raising as much money as I could to just buy anything. In twenty and in two thousand eight, I didn't buy a thing because I pan out. That was I was newish to the markets. Um, uh, had a small portfolio, and I I just I, I I was completely struck by panic. I had no idea what to do. It was a real education for me. That that was for me not really a time for action, but a time for learning. Um, this one feels different to me than twenty twenty. This this downturn or sell off feels different and. Um, I don't know whether it's going to be a time for action or time for learning yet, but it, it feels a bit different to me. Hmm. What about you guys? Um, are you, you, is this a time for action for you, John? Are you I haven't bought cash? anything yet. There's, okay. there's a few things that I would like to buy, but um, uh, interest rates have been falling for, what, 30 years now? 30 years, yeah. And uh, that's a kind of generational change that we're going through where people just have to climatize to the idea that rates are going up. And that's a massive, massive shift that affects almost every market, I think. And you can argue that that has already been priced in, I think, um, in some areas of the market. But it's it's hard to sustain that argument just yet. I think we really don't know. I think what, what interesting thing is, I'm just looking. Sorry, were you going to carry on? I was just going to say that it just doesn't feel to be enough widespread panic at the moment to mm -hmm. me. Oh, I would I would yeah. agree with that. Feels pretty um, widespread in the stocks I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing I was, I was going to say, so I'm looking right here at the chart for the US 30-year um, bond rate, which is basically the longest yield, yeah. yield you can get. Mm -hmm. um, and since 2020, March 2020, that was down at 1.3, 1.-ish. Um, end of last year... That was sort of two, and that's jumped up now to three. So it's a it's added fifty percent in. Mm. So gone from two to three, which is a pretty big move. But we're still very low. We're still back where we were in twenty eighteen. Mm. Um, so it's it, you know, and that's the market's best guess about where where rates are headed. So mm. a big shift to back we were where we were. Let's say for the period twenty fifteen to twenty eighteen is what the market's so far telling us. So whether that means, you know, and we've had these rises. I mean, this is probably the sharpest rise in interest rates. The other one around 2012, there was a big rise. And remember, it got pretty bearish in 2012, mm. 2013. Um, and that was on account of a pretty similar rise in rates. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the thing I was going to say is if, if you're pricing equities, shares to return sort of 8 10, 12%, depending on your fancy. And, and you know, that that's the sort of, generally we're sort of up around 7 to 10 or even 12 for some of the riskier stocks. That's what we're looking for, isn't it? Um, if you then, you know, a 1% increase in the, in the, in the risk-free rate, how much difference does that make? I mean, I, I, I mean, look, it, it do, does make a difference. Um, but I wonder whether, you know, it feels like there's a big, you know, there's interest rates, but we've we've had the, these arguments about interest rates before, um, and and we're we're still a long, long way from where where we were in the 90s or the 80s, um, which may, may, maybe means we're going to go back to those times. But that's not what the bond market is saying at the moment, and you know, I wouldn't, I'm not one to second guess that really. There's also the fact that, and we're going to do a story on this on Friday, but there's. Everybody's worried about the headline headline inflation figures, which you know there's good reason for concern because they look astronomically high compared to where they've been for the past ten years. But um, I don't know whether what component is kind of sustainable inflation. Like energy might well be, and there's a lot of energy in food prices, so that might be. Um, but there's still all those supply constraints working through. In Australia, well, the figures came out today. I think wages were up two point four percent, which is you know quite a strong number compared to what we've had in the past. But it's still not higher than inflation. Mm. Um, and if labour is a big component to inflation, and what you really worry about is is um, labour driven, um, labour cost driven inflation, doesn't seem like as big a problem as what the headline numbers might suggest. Mm. Well, I think and, energy, and I th 
Go energy on. is really is, is a huge component of that inflation. Mm, um, that's right. You think about what's happened with China is um, that the big cities in China are in lockdown. There is um, almost a halt to a lot of economic activity, and oil prices are over a hundred dollars a ton, um, um, a barrel, which I can't wrap my head around. And and iron ore is still over what one hundred and twenty or something, which is just these things. Are, if you had told me that China was going to be in this sort of position. And um, I, I would have guessed oil um, maybe at 40 and iron ore certainly down to 50, like sort of half where we are. And I, I think what that tells us is that there's just a lot of um, constraint. There's been not enough investment in supply, uh, in energy in particular, but mm. potentially throughout that commodities complex. And I yeah. think input costs, um, particularly raw energy, those things could stay high for much, much longer than we think. And that could drive a 70s style inflation kick yeah. a lot longer than what many people expect. It's definitely a risk. See, yeah. when you start talking about 70s style, I mean, that that, that, that starts getting very scary. I mean, that's so the bond yield, um, oh, look, it peaked. I'm looking now at the 30 years as, as I've got it in front of me. In 1981, it peaked at 15%. So, yeah. so if we got that, we'd be in trouble. But I think the thing to remember also about all this is we're talking mm. about inflation meaning higher rates and that meaning lower multiples. Mm. Um, but you've also got to remember that that inflation gives a good kick to revenues, um, mm. to revenue growth. For, so for companies with with pricing power, yep. uh, you know, it makes it easy for them easier for them to to um, to yeah. grow their revenues. Yeah, it's a good point. And if they, if they have the pricing power, and I mean, obviously they've got those that cost inflation going on. But but if they're companies which add value, it gives them the sort of flexibility to they can ride that wave more comfortably. Mm. Um, but the the weaker the weaker companies uh, maybe can't, um, and that's perhaps why it's considered good to have a bit of inflation in 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 the system. Uh, you know, over the long term, they sort of target two percent because it means you have to keep sort of justifying your your margins every year as 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 you you you've got to keep pushing through those price increases to keep your margins. Mm. Mm. Gora, how, how much do you think the energy companies are profiteering in this environment as opposed to just passing on the resources costs? Um well refiner margins price, have sorry. expanded hugely. Um yeah. and uh, you look at results coming out from Ampol and Viva, Viva Energy, they're looking very, very good. So I, I'm sure, and probably links into what JC was saying earlier, that in an environment of higher prices, it's easy to sneak through a little mm -hmm. bit more margin as well. Um, yeah. But I don't, that's not really where, that's, it, this, this, the fundamental lack of supply is the problem. And it's fascinating to me that despite these very high prices, we're still not seeing a supply response from oil, uh, or from coal. I think we are seeing it in LNG. We are seeing it in gas, but uh, slowly, and uh, and with protests, you know. So this is uh, th this is going to be a big question for me. I think it's a really important point. Um, if energy persists at these prices, then all our energy companies are extremely cheap. That's probably the best value part of the market um, for me. Way better than buying tech or SaaS or even platform companies. I'd rather be in energy. Um, if those things are sustainable, if those prices are sustainable, and if they're not, um, well, I wonder what's going to bring down energy prices. It could be some sort of demand destruction, but then what do you substitute um, mm. oil and and coal with? You know, um, can, this is, can these you, are big questions. You know, you can, when you think of new oil and new new coal, you think of new exploration. But how much capacity is there in the system to just simply pump or dig more from existing supply, existing mines, and existing wells? Um, I, I don't know, but I know that there hasn't been any CapEx for it. And it's been longer than just the last few years. It's probably for the last 10 years mm. um, in oil. We've had a couple of very big sell-offs in the oil price, and it just scared a lot of investors away. Um, oil and the, the, um, the swing producer used to be the shale guys in the US, and the banks have really tightened their lending on shale, and shale investors have demanded dividends Everyone thinks this is a sunset industry, and so they're investing and treating it like a sunset industry and demanding um, dividends, buybacks, and not accepting CapEx at all. Right. We've seen the success that BHP has had. BHP went from being a stock we all used to laugh about, really, about how bad capital allocation was, the butt of all our jokes. 
And now it's one of the best businesses in Australia. And the difference has been how they've treated CapEx. And the result of that is that you get much better returns as a shareholder, but the entire industry suffers from poorer supply and arguably keeps prices higher for longer. Mm-hmm. I was The point I wanted to make earlier, actually, um, just on um, the cycle was, you know, my experience with cycles is that every bull market has its flag bearer um, and it's kind of its mascot. Mm-hmm. And um, before the 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 market turns you need to see those flag bearers fall um and for me uh those are crypto tesla and kathy wood and i think um for for me to get more interested in buying um into all the pessimism and there is rising pessimism in tech you're going to have to see crypto fall a lot more than it has already tesla has to fall a lot more and um the arc um, ETF has to start experiencing massive, um, not just falls, which it already has, but investors are still piling more money. She's actually still attracting a lot of um, inflow. That has to turn around. That's, now, that's probably me and James, I think. It's probably James. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I know it's not scientific, but I think when we, you know, the, the longer you you do this, I think the the better your your, your gut feel tends to get, and um, and that for me is my is is one of my tell points. Um, you know, I used it when in the last resources um, bust as well. Hmm. You know, it was when we started seeing Fortescue almost go out of business. You know, the, the big, um, the, the, the star of the last resources boom almost going out of business. That's when I think that signaled the time to buy and close to the bottom. And I think the same is true this time. We're going to have to see those three icons fall and fall heavily. Fair enough, but I don't think crypto has got anything to do with Altium or Ordinate. So uh, you know, if if and 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 who's to to say that we actually have to get to that, you know, that bottom point? I mean, you know, there was a big sell off in twenty eighteen, and we, you know, um, you, you don't always, you know, sometimes the market bounces off a level and you just forget about it, and it wasn't. I don't think we'll forget about this in a hurry, but. Um, I won't, <laughs> but um, you know, I don't think you've got to presume that you're going to get to this point of capitulation. Um, yeah. You know, and I'm certainly going to. Have, I'll, I'll be all in before long before we do. Oh, you know, maybe I already am. double double all in. <laughs> yeah. Well, Could Microsoft. You, um, um, let's not forget. Took what ten years to reach, or more than ten years, like thirteen years to reach its um, pre uh, ninety nine high. Mm-hmm. Right after it fell again after the the bus. So. You know, look, logically, what you're saying is correct. I can't argue with it, James. But it can, if 10 years, even you might say, well, that's what, what's that in a lifetime of investing? I, I still think it's a long time. And I think. Especially if you're 65 or something. <laughs> even if you're 40, John. But if you, but if you halve, if you halve and then double again, right, then that's, yeah. then, then 10 years is 7% a year, which is not too bad. <laughs> so the key point is that, um, a lot of very good stocks are half the price they were a year ago, and one shouldn't ignore that, you know. Um, I, th- I think you should forget about what they were a year ago. I think that was that in hindsight. Oh, well, possibly. All right. But look, all, I, all I'm saying is relatively. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, um, yeah, I mean, look, you're absolutely right. But um, they're, they're, I'm saying they're relatively more attractive than they were a year ago. I mean, I'm saying we, we weren't buying yeah. um, many of these things a year ago um, uh, or any. I can't no, think of true. any. So we could all be holding um, sort of little Aussie versions of Cisco, which reached, I think, <laughs> a high of, what, 78, uh, 68 bucks around the time of the dot-com crash, and has never breached that since. Never gone back, yeah. That was it's the biggest company in the world at one now. stage, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. Now, two of these stocks that um, we have been looking at, I think, which and there's consensus that these um, – are among the areas of interest, and JC, these these stocks are yours. Um, I think, yeah, almost, uh, almost unsurprisingly. Well, REA um, is zero. We don't cover, but I've been looking at it and wrote it up recently. Yes, that's right. Um, so let, let's start on REA. We, I think, we all reckon. Well, I reckon this is the single best business in Australia. Um, I don't think I get too much argument that it's in the top ten. I don't think I get too much arguments in the top five. It is one of the best businesses in Australia. Uh, it, the price has fallen a long way. JC, we must be getting pretty close. I think you've upgraded it already. Have you bought it yet? Um, at what point does this become just a uh, um, you know a table thumping buy? 
when do I um, buy it? Is what I want to know, James. <laughs> well, I I've, 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 yeah, it, it has been upgraded. Um, our buy price for a while has been um, 120, and it's got mm. a bit below that. Actually, we increased it um, sometime last year, um, but uh, it's got below that. And yeah, um, it's, uh, I think, a good time to buy it. Um, it's not a table thumping buy. I've bought. I suppose for my own portfolio, a starter position. Hmm. Um, I think that below a hundred bucks, getting towards ninety, I'd be starting to thumb a few tables. Um, <laughs> the the so the forward forward PE is around about thirty five now, hmm. um, and you know I think if that got below thirty, you'd certainly start getting quite excited. Um, and and again, this is a, a classic example of a stock which. You know, there's some multiple compression, but if but if that's because of inflation, then then mm. that revenue growth. I mean, so mm. I'm looking for revenue growth of around ten percent, I suppose, and earnings growth um, a few percent higher, sort of maybe thirteen to fifteen percent, that sort of thing. Um, and that'll be a whole lot easier to. I, I think that that's very attractive on a P below thirty. Mm. Um, I mean, less. Uh, less attractive if if rates go up, but but the inflation makes it that much easier to achieve, and and you could then start to talk about um, you know growth maybe a few percent higher than that because it's going to be easier for it to push through those price uh, increases and that sort of thing. Um, and, and this is a stock which has that pricing power, and I think that's a, an important point. Oh yeah, proven pricing power. They've raised prices relentlessly over the last decade. Yeah, and but they've done that by adding more value as well. Correct. I think that yeah, their no, customers right. fi- feel that they that they've been giving them more, and uh, you know they do they improve the product the whole time, um, but they also they're still making a very small well not very small but 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 a relatively small part of 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 the you know the fees on a housing yeah. transaction. Absolutely, uh, I think that's so. There's the key, a, there's actually. And 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 you could say they they add the most value in that yeah, whole correct. process, mm-hmm. and you know so there's a, there's a fair way for them to go. Um, mm. They've got other areas uh, to grow in as well, sort of um, you know sidelines in financial services, mortgage broking, um, overseas markets which are perhaps less developed, India. Uh, but the core Australian business is why you buy it. That's the one that's mm. really strong, and uh, yeah, the the. P around um, below 35. Um, if that got into the 30s, I think it's a, a really good opportunity because it's, you know, there aren't many better businesses you can uh, um, expect to grow as reliably as this one. Yeah. Now, I, I like that point about the where they sit in the value chain. When you consider the the, the take that's um, that's paid to real estate agents and the value they generate compared to REA. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of room there, and they could yeah. either do an FTV style. Um, you know, one day they could turn into more of a transaction platform, not just a um, you know a listing platform. And I think that's that's interesting as well. I don't think they've said that out loud for many many years. I once heard an executive say that at REA, and quickly um, pedaled back. Yeah, <laughs> wanna, thousands yeah. of brokers called that's him right. to abuse him. Mm. <laughs> that's right. I think the brokers actually they try to set up their own rival at one stage and it just didn't work but yes there are good reasons why they are a bit a bit secretive about how much yeah. how far they can ultimately go but i think um, that they're, they're, they're constantly extending their tentacles if mm. you like um there's this new website probably com probably.com.au i don't know if you've seen that but it's um you type in any address and find out the value of the house or wow. you know an estimate thereof and local recent sales and that sort of thing and it, it's pretty basic so far, but it's but it's just an interesting development. Provides good data, hmm. and you know in other areas you can get if you if you if you register for the site you can get sort of weekly emails telling you what they think your house is worth and and that sort of thing. And hmm. and you know if you've got that sort of interaction, you're more likely to refinance your mortgage. And you know there, there's just they're, they're just the technology is being developed and they're extending their tentacles and there's just a lot of ways they can monetize that and mm. uh they've got the network effects going for them uh it's it's a great great business and one question i've had about it pretty reliably 
is just about the cyclicality there, James, because we've never really, I don't think this has been properly tested and, and I don't know whether listings are cyclical. I mean, oh, logically, they, 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 they certainly you, are. they'd have to be, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's never, very, we they, don't know what happens. Oh, well, yeah, but it depends how bad you want them to get. But, um, mm. I mean, they had a pretty nasty listings downturn in sort of 2018-ish. I uh, yes, forget the precise right. dates. Um, and the stock got pretty cheap. Mm. Um, and that's arguably what's happening now. I mean, people are yeah. talking about listing falls next year. So when yeah. I say reliable growth, I mean long-term reliable growth. I mean, from mm. year to year, um, that listings, uh, you know, if listings contract uh, in, a, in a year, it's going to be hard um, mm. for them to grow much. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a few swings there and that, that's perhaps what gives you the opportunity. So that's, mm. that might, that, that, that probably is what's happening now. John, what do you reckon about REA? Is it on your list? Yeah, I'd love to buy it. I really yeah. would. Um, I suppose the limit is how much of the take can REA grab from the brokers? Mm. Um, that's the cap. Obviously there's only a limited number of houses in Australia that they're not growing particularly quickly, but they're growing at, let's say, GDP growth. So for a high growth business, there needs to be that pricing power. And to me, that seems to revolve around being able to squeeze the brokers a little bit harder um, without them realizing they're being squeezed, which seems to be, from REA's point of view, just a, the delivery of new and uh, new levels of products that allow each property to be, or property to be displayed in a different kind of way. Would that be right, James? Because that seems to me to be where the growth will yeah, come that's from over time. Sort of. I think you're missing out, or possibly missing out, one component there. Because you, so you talk about GDP growth. Mm. Um, so the the housing stock, I think, grows three or four percent a year. Yeah. Um, but prices grow also, and so as the prices grow, they get a free kick in terms of what they're able to charge. So that what, what brokers are getting then is is going up as well. Um, I mean, they're the state agents. So, so as the you know, as the value of a house goes up, you know, three five percent a year, um, that should ultimately throw, flow through to the revenue growth as well. I would say. Mm -hmm. So you've got so you so you got the two lots of three to five percent, um, and then you got uh, um, you know some some actual real price increases on top of that um sort of as you said squeezing the broker without them realizing they're being squeezed which is partly to do with adding value um and partly to do with just um saying that we're very strong and you need us and uh you know if adding all those components together i think you can get up to 10 percent quite easily mm -hmm. um and uh and i think that uh, you know the costs probably don't increase quite as much um, so you can get earnings growth, I think, you know, well into the teens, really. That's that's the that's the bull case. And yeah. um, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's a, and, and that I feel is quite sustainable long term. But it's a question of, um, yeah, I mean, at, at, at a P of around 30, let's say that that's I'd say that's pretty attractive. But but others would don't like to pay pay so you know for growth so so far ahead so jc it i would have expected uh rea to be spitting out lots and lots of free cash flow um what do they do with their excess cash are they reinvesting that is there do you see a time where this would be a business that would ever just just spit out um cash flow or is it uh, does it require well, it makes a pretty of... good cash flow um already but it does yeah. does um uh, capitalize some of its um, some of its uh, development expenditure, some of it. But um, so so it, the cash flow is a little bit less than the profit, I think. But um, you know, it spits out pretty decent cash. Uh, I don't think there'll ever be a time where it stops investing because that's what it's all about. Okay. Um, they don't pay so, out a lot, do they? Yeah. What's that? Do they? They don't pay out too much, do they? In dividends? Oh, look, I, 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 no, they don't. <laughs> but I couldn't tell yeah. you the exact payout ratio. I mean, they, yeah, that's right. No, they don't. But I couldn't tell you the exact payout ratio. Anyway, I'm trying to find it as we speak. You can probably hear me clicking away, but uh, not as stealthy as I thought. Yeah, it's only it's only one and a half percent. Um, yeah, but I think that's probably a function of the very high high price. Yeah, but that's the high yield. Times. So the payout ratio is yeah, that's right. It's, I mean, yeah. I, I think it's reasonably high. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, 
All right, should we move along to the next one, which is uh, relatively new for us? We've written about zero for quite some time. I don't think we've ever upgraded it. Um, in fact, I think REA, this is the first time we've upgraded REA, isn't it, JC? Oh, yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah, that's quite a milestone. Of, 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 for, <laughs> for all of us loving the business and singing its praises, it's actually the first time we've ever, ever bought it. That's interesting. Um, now, we haven't had that moment with zero yet. Everyone, for, for most people I speak to, zero is the. Um, is the best software business in Australia. What is it about Zero, James, that just makes it so lovable? Well, I I'm not sure that I agree with that characterization. I don't. I don't know that I would call it the best software business in Australia. I think there's there's. Well, again, it depends what you call a software business. I'd say Altian's better. Um, it's but, most well I mean, known though. It, the most well known, yeah, and and look, it has a lot of fans. And mm. the thing about Zero is is that it's just hard to know how strong it is, really. Um, and there's the there's the difficulty. Mm. Um, it it so what was attractive about it a few years ago is is that it sort of got into this cloud based delivery of accounting software mm. uh, ahead of other people. And that gave it a couple of advantages. It made it much easier to use this sort of partner-led um, distribution model where they get accountants. The accountants get rewarded for getting their customers onto it. Um, and it also made it easier for them to sort of uh, become a platform onto which other software companies could make software yeah. to, you know, to augment it. Um, and all of this sort of was was assisted by that cloud delivery uh, and and some of the competitors were held back by the fact they're still operating um, you know legacy on-premise uh, um, products mm. so it, it absolutely hit the market with a bang and did very very well particularly uh, locally Australia New Zealand um, but obviously the others haven't been asleep uh, or weren't asleep for too long. Uh, they got woke up pretty quick, and um, and they've been now, you know, focusing the, on their cloud products and their, you know, and and the the difficulty is, I think the, the difficulty I find is knowing quite where that's at. So how much of that lead has now been eroded? I suspect pretty much most of it, um, and. Yeah, so it, it ultimately is quite a competitive business if everyone else is now doing the same thing and they haven't got anything to, um, you know, any particular competitive advantages. But they're still growing very rapidly. They've got um, Where is that growth coming from? Because I would have thought that in Australia they're, they're largely tapped out. I would have thought. I don't know if they're still growing here, but I'd be surprised if they No, are. no, they are still growing here. Still growing yeah. here pretty they're well. Yeah. Not, um, not much sorry, different rates to the UK and North America. Really? They're growing it. Well, in the last results, it was 26%, wasn't it, yeah. James, I think? I couldn't tell you exactly. Yeah. And is that, from, I mean, is that from the platform, um, more more transactions on the platform, um, revenue rising from existing users, or is that just new users joining zero? Well, I think it's a bit of both. It's a bit of um, ARPU, and it's a bit of so, – so that's revenue per user, and it's also subscribers increasing. Um, that you know the number of so you've you've got a situation where it's not just their market share; it's also people shifting. So people are shifting onto the cloud. So once you know that, so there's a there's a an available market for them there of people who are just getting to okay. a point where they want to shift onto the cloud, and because right. they you know they don't have any interest in the market where people aren't yet on the cloud. So mm -hmm. you've got that sort of tailwind for them, um, but. Uh, Long term, I suppose the the recent result was quite interesting, in as much as um, subscribers were slightly disappointing, subscriber growth, particularly in the UK, and mm -hmm. um, but the ARPU growth, the revenue per user growth, was slightly higher than people were expecting, and I think that may be that. That's what I read in most of what I've seen in the, around the market since the result has had people increasing their expectations for for ARPU growth and knocking down their expectations for subs growth. But mm. but the ultim ultimately that keeps you with similar sorts of revenue growth. So yeah. Um I mean it's still in the last five years, I think it's grown thirty percent a year revenue, mm. which is okay. pretty pretty remarkable. Um so it's it's 
certainly one of Australia's fastest growing software businesses. But whether it's the best, I think the jury's out. And that'll, um, I mean, it, it, it probably to grow, to, to satisfy the bulls, um, it's really got to make some headway in America, which it hasn't really yet done. John, and, uh, why why is that? I mean, when they first went over to the to America, <laughs> there was a promise of very quick gains. Um, Intuit has really crushed them over there. Yeah. Do you have any insight into why that is? Uh, I think Rod Drury made a bit of a mistake when he came out and said we're going into the US with all guns blazing. And very promptly, Intuit came into Sydney and plonked about fifty staff. Um, into an HQ in Australia just to take zero on and make life more difficult for them mm. here. Um, so that kind of shows the aggressiveness of their competition. Mm. Um, Intuit also runs the TurboTax product, um, and they've just been fined by the US government for a ridiculously misleading website that gets people to pay for a service that the government says should be free to people provided by Intuit. So they're a, they're a very, very aggressive competitor. And it, you can't tell from the results. Like James and I have been through the quarterly, um, the quarterlies, and they seem to offer more SaaS kind of metrics. Mm. But this is not uncommon for software businesses, non-US software businesses, when they go into the US and they expect the same kind of metrics from their domestic markets, and they just don't seem to happen. Uh, and we've seen a shift in the U.S., I think, in the way that they're selling. So the acquisition costs in the U.S. are far, far higher, and that shouldn't really be a surprise because Intuit is so embedded that all they had to do was just to get on the cloud fast, and that would probably be enough to hang on to their yeah. uh, hang on to their customers. Which is exactly what they've done, right? Which they've is what, exactly what they've done. Yeah. Um, the products in terms of functionality, from what I know, aren't hugely different. Um, I think Zero's marketing is is pretty good, but in terms of the user experience, I'm not sure how much better Zero is or whether it dip, it's better at all. But to get those customers to leave into it, they'd have to have a significantly better customer experience, and I'm not sure that they've got it. So to get customers to come over, you're probably having to spend more money. And when you look at the um, CAC, the customer acquisition costs in the US, it seems to me that they're spending a lot more to acquire a customer in the US and they're finding it harder to hang on to them. So recently they've just announced they're going to use a, a third-party seller and walk back from um, walk back from where they were in terms right. of uh, growing their US presence. And also I'm just looking at the um, I'm just looking at the uh, investor briefing from the from the full year results. And on page, it's quite interesting. So on page nine, they have their international highlights and North America looks good because revenue's up 28%, uh, subscribers up 19%, uh, UK revenue up 30%, subscribers up 18%. And then um, you go down to slide 11 and it says investing in our strategy, North America. And then there's a whole load of graphics about the Canadian product. So they've really <laughs> handed, it looks as though they're handing off mm. everything that they do in the US to these third parties because they've, they basically acknowledge that they can't really crack it and get the kind of numbers that they need to be better than Australia or anywhere close to what they're getting in ANZ. Mm. The UK looks more promising from what I can tell. But had a disappointing, yeah, had a disappointing half in the UK, and um, yeah. I think people yeah. are not quite sure that there's a making tax digital thing that they've um, that the government's pushing there, and they mm. were ex people were expecting some quite good numbers there, which haven't quite come through. So, but um, I mean, ultimately, these are all short term. You know, th these things are sort of, sort of swings around. Well, what you were talking about there, John, I think is the important point. I mean, where, where they start weak. It's much harder for everything else to fall into place. The, the partner-led uh, distribution model works mm -hmm. much better where you don't have big competitors. You know, where, where you're the the one and only cloud product, you can go into an accountant and say, "Look, here's this wonderful thing. You can hook up with all your clients." You, you, and the accountant says, "Well, obviously, I'll have that." Um, but it's a harder argument to make where that accountant. 
you know is familiar with with Intuit, and uh, its its customers already, <laughs> some yeah. of them already use Intuit, and you know, and and they've got a cloud product as well, and so the the, the it, it's going to be hard, much harder for them to make headway, and <clears throat> the valuation of the stock is so sensitive to, you know, how well it does over there. It's just very very hard to value, and that's what you see in the volatility of it, and I guess that's why we would want a very decent margin of safety. It's not, you know, it, look, it's hard to know what the value is. It's hard to know what, what constitutes the margin of safety. I sort of floated 80 um, as a as an interesting price um, uh, when I wrote, wrote it up a few weeks ago. Um, and we did just dip below that yeah, after probably. the result. Yeah. Um, but look, you know, whether, um, you know, I, I think... Um, we, you know, we're we're not rushing to to upgrade it. If if we, if we want it to come and sort of you know break our door down. Do they make yeah. a lot of acquisitions, JC? Um, they've made a few, just sort of little sort of little bolt on things. Plan Day, okay. I think, was the biggest one they made right. yeah. uh, recently. That was last year, and that just little things to augment the product, um, and and help to increase the ARPU and. Didn't they do that with their payroll as well? Didn't they buy a payroll solution? Too? Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. I don't I can't remember what it's called, but yeah. so they make a few things. Flow. But not, mm. hmm. they generate very good cash flow, as you would expect, You'd expect right, that, from a business yeah. like this. Yeah, but um, I'm just surprised at um, their. I mean, their their investments as well look look very high. I, I assume that these are acquisitions. Um, on, so well, it depends. It depends how you're looking at it and what's what. Well, I mean, they, they capitalize. It says well, so they capitalize a lot of a lot of um, development, uh, development costs. Yeah, I can so see you're, that. You're there's probably, a, you're probably a, seeing big, that. Well, there's a big amortization line, which um, which yeah. wouldn't come through in cash flow, but um, but there's a um, there's a purchase of intangible assets line as well, and it's quite quite sizable. So 200 million margin yeah. um, last year, 150. Yeah, well, they made they made a big, big put, Yeah. Um, yeah is that to but, augment the platform side? I mean, I know they're trying to build out their yeah, platform. Yeah, that's they... exactly right. Yeah, okay, right. Yeah, yeah, so that's, yeah. that seems like quite good use of capital in that sense. Yeah, it is. It's all good. It's, uh, but, uh, yeah. And I suppose, you know, fundamentally the point is that they're, they, they're guiding towards spending 80 to 85% of their revenue okay. on, um, uh, you know, uh, in, in terms of costs. Um uh, and um, you know that doesn't doesn't leave a lot a lot a lot at the bottom line. So that you know at the moment their focus is still very much on grabbing market share and and growing and getting subscribers. And you know so all all the value is left to the future really, and that, and that's what makes it so hard. I've got a couple of questions for James on zero. Um, and maybe this is just a, an inherent bias in English-speaking world, but when you look at a business like Facebook, which I know that Zuckerberg liked to think of it as a platform business, but it's really not. It's just an advertising business. Um, Zero is kind of a platform business in a in a conventional sense, and a little bit what like REA is. It's not like a multiple platform business like Google, but it's still pretty good. It was very easy for Facebook to break into non-English speaking markets and grow at the same kind of pace as it did in its home market. Why haven't Zero tried to go into France or Germany or places like that? Why have they just stuck with South Africa, Canada, the US, UK? That's a good question. I mean, I think it probably comes down to so how much of the R&D is country specific and how much of it is is sort of core product specific if you like so if the if 100% of the the design and development was was the core product and you didn't have to do anything to tailor the product to any particular market then you'd just you'd obviously go for every market in the world as quickly as possible um, as, as did but, facebook <laughs> yeah well that, and i think that's and that's the 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 thing isn't it so if you've if because it's not just language either, is it? It's also, um, you know, tax law and, you know, various other bits and bobs. So the product has to be uh, tweaked for, for different markets and different. They, they need to be supported by different add-ons. And mm -hmm. uh, so I guess at the moment they've got enough on their plate, I suppose, is the answer to that. Um, uh, yeah, I'm afraid I can't give a better answer than that. <laughs> but um, So where are you on zero? John, are you are you um, 
Well, I, I wish I bought it when it was at eleven fifty when the first was the first time I got familiar with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when it was going through a similar, oh, it's not going to grow grow as fast as we thought. That's right. Uh, when that, that was, that must have been six or seven years ago now, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when it went through a uh, had a period of sort of low growth. Um, the, it was also of, when SAS was SAS accounting was new, and I don't. Yeah, that's right. People I didn't, didn't get understand. it. I didn't no, get the it. people didn't. I think get we didn't how, understand how. Um, how you know how good it would be to be on the cloud and how strong how big a differentiator that was yeah mm. well the, um, the, and, the, and so the, the arguments them are slightly different than the business was now. telling us but um it didn't translate into the numbers and for me anyway i, I just viewed that with skepticism because i didn't see it and the truth was yeah. that we just didn't know how to how to tweak the uh the um you know the uh the official numbers to to reflect what was actually happening inside the business I, i'll I have to that. I'll tell the um, I'll tell the listener the story when the iPad came out and Gorav came in because it's kind of illuminates a company like Zero, I think. Mm. So when the iPad came out and Gorav said, "Why is everybody getting so excited about this? It's just a big iPhone," and it was just a big iPhone. But the thing was, it radically transformed the user experience in different use cases, and small business accounting software has had a similar kind of effect. So moving to the cloud Mm. radically transformed how you could manage your small business through making payments on the bus on the way to work, um, through making it look much better on your screen, through knowing that once you'd paid something on the bus, it was going to register when you got into the office and you opened it up on your desktop computer. So that radically transformed the user experience, which I think was what was Zero's great breakthrough idea. In terms of user experience, in, once you get past the login screen, it's really not that great. <laughs> the accountants aren't that demanding in terms of UX. Mm. Uh, but what, what I think what happened was that the longer that time went by, there are companies all around the world in smaller markets who saw what Zero was doing and made that migration to the cloud. Mm. And it might not be good enough. It might not be as good as Zero, but it's good enough for the users. So as the more that time passes by, mm. the harder that competition gets. And that's what we really saw in the US, I feel. Mm. Um, that entrenched market, not quite as good a product, but good enough, made that migration to the cloud. And now they've really backed off that marketplace. So I, if I was zero, and I'm obviously not, and I probably really don't know what I'm talking about to what they're talking about, but I would, I would look for markets where you have really, really weak, entrenched products rather than just go on the basis of market size and English speaking. Well, what they say, I mean, they, they say about the US that the cloud penetration there is actually very, very low. I mean, Australia and New Zealand have very high rates of cloud penetration for organic software. And I think that's one of the reasons they they still feel that market is is very attractive is because there's a, long, there's a lot of accountants which need to get online, um, get into the cloud. And so, you know, but I mean, of course, they're, they're fighting there with a strong Intuit product, and that's possibly the difference. So maybe they need to look, look where there aren't those competing products. Maybe that's yeah. the answer. And churn rates are very low here, right? So you sort of need need that migration to get customers. Otherwise, why would a business? It's such a difficult thing to switch all your accounting software over. You probably mm-hmm. don't get too much. Churn. I mean, churn rates are incredibly low. Yeah. That's probably the most attractive thing about this business okay, is once you yeah. acquire with a, acquire a customer, they really stay with you. Yeah. Well, they're about so they're about ten percent a year, right? The, the yeah. churn, which um, I mean, compared to some other stocks, is relatively high. But I think the important thing to understand with that is it's most. I mean, the the the, the average life of a customer is uh, almost ten years, um, and I think the average small business only stays in, it stays around for five. So, yeah. you know that, that that they've they've you know most of their churn I think is is actually companies going uh, out of business rather yeah, yeah, than yeah. Uh, deciding to use a different product it's the same for data centers the the only churn you see is when the business actually goes bust and yeah, yeah that's it's very attractive um, listen gents we have to it's been uh, we've been babbling for an hour we need to um, wrap things up so let's uh, come to a conclusion about zero John would you buy uh, I'd like to buy it but not yet not yet Okay, and JC, um, we you, you wrote an article about it recently. It's getting very close to your buy price. What are you thinking? Um, are you, well, are you ready to pull the you trigger? Know, 
Um, <laughs> I'll keep umming and ahhing. The more you um and ah in the current current market, the better it the, seems to get. The more you're awarded, um, exactly. Yeah, it seems, it seems to be. So, look, I said 80. You know, if I am an R a bit, maybe, uh, look, mm. I, I'd be very tempted around 70, certainly. Um, and may, maybe you want to wait. Maybe it's worth waiting till you're very, very tempted rather than just feel it's looking good. Yeah. The message I'm hearing from both of you, though, is that the the type of stock to really be looking at is is in that top tier, is, is the, the REA, the Tech One, mm-hmm. um, the uh, Zero, Rebel, Altium. These are the sort of things that I, I would concur with that. These are the sort of things... I think is are going to be interesting. That's where my attention is going to be focused as well. That, that's quite a good comparison because you, you can look at REA and say, well, whoever's really running that, you know what they have to do. It's quite yeah. hard to stuff up. Yeah. Z- Zero is still very much Rod Tourist's baby, I feel, and mm. he's the one who's still driving it and it's his life's work and that makes it susceptible in some ways. Hmm. Interesting. We'll have to delve into his psychology and uh, put him on the, the couch a little bit later. <laughs> <laughs> We'll leave that for JC, actually. Yeah. Um, right. Any last words? We should um, we should wrap up. No, you uh, don't you, get you'll your notice. Kids. You'll notice that I did not bring Cole into this conversation once. You just did. You ruined it. Well, I, I wanted to quickly actually. I wanted quickly to say that I redid some cold numbers uh, one or two days ago, and I'm now getting spot um, free cash flow for Woodside uh, and Woodside for for Whitehaven of about eighty percent. So that's that. I'll just leave it at that. Jeez. I'm getting eighty percent free cash flow yield for Whitehaven. Um, so that's why you can understand why I'm sort of looking at your um, your zero and REA uh, articles and probably not getting as excited as you folks are getting excited. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, we'll try and go um, next time without any mention of call whatsoever. I'll, I'll do better. Um, James, thank you very much for joining me today. Pleasure, John. It was great to have you on. We need to do this again. No, thanks, Gordo. I enjoyed it. For everyone else, thank you for listening.